Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Okay, listeners, I'm going to be frank with you. I'm going to be really honest. I've been really focused all day on how am I going to like lead into this episode, this My Bloody Valentine, the remake episode. I've been scratching my head trying to think of something, and I'm going to be honest. I'm so fucking sick of Valentine's Day, I can't come up with anything creative. Troy, are you on the same page? Totally. Uh, yes, I, I I think we've exhausted all of our creative Valentine intros, and it's only been three Valentine's episodes we've done, and I think that's three uh, too many. No, it's it sounded it sounded great, you know, in January when we're like, oh my god, we're gonna make February our Valentine themed month for the podcast. But yeah, now I'm totally over it. Yeah. So this is this is t- our last one of of February. So hey. Yeah, I mean, thank fucking God. I'm going to be real. This seems like the longest fucking Valentine's holiday ever. Uh, It just seems to keep going. And I think in part to the fact that we keep watching these Valentine's-themed horror movies, which there aren't even that many. I could probably count on one hand the amount of horror films that revolve around this holiday, but we're we're watching all of them. Um, And today, we're watching My Bloody Valentine. The remake, the 2009 remake. It was 2009, correct? It was 2009. I cannot God. believe it. Ten Over 10 years ago. And I, I, Roger, I saw this in the theater and I literally re- remember it like it was yesterday. Like getting the 3D g- glasses and, and being all excited and having all the pickaxes and eyeballs flying out at me. It's literally, it seems like it was like last week. And then I was like thinking about it. I'm like, fuck, 2009, that was only over 10 years ago. Yeah, my how time fucking flies, Troy. Because honestly, same thing. I was going to say the exact same thing. I remember being so excited for this when I was coming to theaters. And in the trailers, there was this one specific shot that like always got me excited. And it was the shot of the miner throwing the pickaxe. And they did this like push in on the truck. Where, where the cast, uh, where Jamie King, whom I fucking love, is sitting there and she's like facing it and they, you know, and it, it hits through the glass and you see the point of it go through the glass and almost get into her eye. And that got me so fucking jazzed. I was so excited. Um, and it was palpable. Like, I, I, you know, this movie was really, like, when it came out, it might have been the 3D fad or what have you, but God, this movie got me so fucking excited when it came out. I was excited about Jensen Ackles and Kerr Smith. Oh my God! Tag team me with those two. You can no. You can have Jamie King. You already claimed her. You you, oh you have God. her. You know what? I'll take Jamie King. I'll take her. Give me Jamie King in Black Summer, who will kill anybody for her daughter. I mean, yes. Give me Jamie King any you know, day of the week. What, she's kind of underrated because I was realizing she's been in a shit ton of remakes. She's oh yeah. Like, she's like the remake. Scream Queen. She was did this remake. She did the Silent Night, Deadly Night remake. She did the Mother's Day remake. 
And I'm probably missing. I'm probably missing a couple, but she's well. It's not a. It is not a remake, but she also did that movie, The Tripper. Oh yeah, uh, which is another slasher esque film. So she has that. Then she has Black Summer. The girl's resume is stacked when it comes to horror films, and like you said, yes, especially remakes, and especially remakes that are acknowledged as being stronger remakes. Like when you look at her resume, the films she's in, Silent Night, Deadly Night, that was a pretty solid reimagining of that film i would say that the mother's day remake has quite a fan following because it's got some strong performances in it and i would say that this film overall is a respectable addition to her resume this is a pretty damn good film yeah yeah she has definitely quite the the resume it'd be cool to see her come come up and and do another horror film at some point here soon well have you watched black summer no is that is that recent it's on Netflix. It's a series. It's zombies. I know you don't oh. you don't love zombies, but let me tell you, if if there's gonna be a zombie series you could enjoy, this is the opposite of The Walking Dead. They're running zombies, first of all. But th- this is all about like single camera shots, long sweeping sequences, uh slow, drawn out suspense. It's the opposite of what The Walking Dead has become at this point. So I think I say give it a chance. And listeners, give it a fucking chance. The second season was pretty stellar. I'll definitely check it out. I have a whole shit ton of stuff I have on my list to watch. And I'm slowly getting around to it. But, you know, we have this podcast. You know, and when you're doing a podcast and you're going to discuss a film in detail, you can't just watch it at one time, right? So it's this the it's the Valentine's shit I've been watching all month, Roger. It's just consumed me. I know. We need a cleanse. We need a good cleanse. I deserve I deserve a big box of chocolates and I don't know what else. Well, you receive the chocolates, but I know what else you fucking need. You need a big a big something or other, and maybe one of our <laughs> listeners can provide it in the comment section of our of our Apple <laughs> Podcasts. Make sure to leave a big, fat review for Troy. And not just the tip. Give him the whole thing. The fatter, the better. <laughs> fatter, the better. A Valentine's gift to Troy and to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. The, the Apple Podcast. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a little review. week Because we know we entertain you. And so entertain us. Yeah. And for you guys, pretty soon, Troy and I are going to do a porn uh porn parody of uh, of my bloody valentine the remake because the sexual chemistry between these two mm, palpable <laughs> if you want to as well if you also want to give us some last minute february valentine day love check out our patreon where we have some great stuff getting ready to drop on there for February as well. Kind of surprise type titles that you wouldn't expect us to cover. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. I mean, both on our Patreon and on our just standard episodes in general, we got some, we got some things in the works. You all better sit down and cross your legs. I don't want those skirts blowing up because we got some big things coming. But today, the focus is My Bloody Valentine, the remake, 2009. And as I was saying, this cast features three prominent actors, and we mentioned them. We mentioned first Jamie King, the female lead. And then we've got Jensen Eccles and Kerr Smith, who, like, let me tell you, at times I feel like these two are, like, just just about to beat the shit out of each other. And other times I think they're just on the cusp of hate-fucking each other. It is so sexy watching these two fuckers 
argue. I just want them to rip each other's shirts off. I mean, of course I do. I'm a gay man. But God, I can't imagine two hotter men in the leading roles of a film. <laughs> yeah, going at it. The whole movie. Uh, you got to respect, you know, this film, I think, does play a lot of nice little homages to the original film while doing its own thing. And, and first and foremost, it keeps the characters' names, which I appreciate. So you have Sarah, uh, Jamie King, you have Axel, Kerr Smith, and Tom, which in the original one we just covered last week, it's TJ, but I think, what was it? I think his real name was Tom or, or something like that. So, but they, 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 they kept the, the spirit of the, the uh, original trio of the film. Plus they kept the, the love triangle aspect of it. Yeah, they handled this whole aspect of the film um, with a lot of care. And I really feel that in many regards, the adjustments and changes they made to the focal characters, in fact, were quite beneficial. Uh, they skimmed down on the overall headcount of like the focal core group of players, but that does provide more time for this whole uh, love triangle to really like become something way juicier. There's way more meat for these actors to chew on. And there's a lot more strings tying all of these characters together. Um, so I think they made some really strong choices that at the end of the day make for what I dare say would be a more thoughtfully written story. Well, I don't want to say this is anywhere better than the original film. I do think the story here is a little bit tighter. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. The It, it moves at a, a little bit of a quicker pace as well. Um, there are a lot of scenes in the original film that are just kind of there with, like I said, the multitude of characters. This one kind of takes all that and really puts the focus on, like we said, these specific three characters. There's really not a a lot of secondary characters which we talked about last week in the review for the original film. It's it's once they get to that party in the mine at the original film, there are so many characters and, and keeping track of who's who and whatnot does get a little, uh, you know, daunting at times. This one, I think, yeah, tightens, tightens that up a bit and gives us more of a clear focus uh, for characters. Yeah. I think that's really well put. I think the, the term I would almost use for what they did with this is they, they streamlined the story. They made a lot of, uh, you know, love triangle aside, they made a lot of strong choices that really raised the stakes. Like across the board, I think they raised the stakes here. They make decisions about what transpired both with the original issue, still involving the character of Harry, uh, who is, you know, still this kind of like mysterious figure that looms over this trap, this town. But they involve these characters in both the initial events and the present day events. Whereas the original film, the younger individuals were kind of just in their own little world and everything involving Harry was just kind of like this kind of big story that everybody in town talked about in this film. They're in it. The initial event, they are involved. So when he comes back, like I said, the stakes seem to be raised because Harry has beef with several characters. He has personal issues with several characters, and he's encountered all of these characters. So it seems like there's that much more motivation for him to target them specifically. Yes. So let's get into it. It's a good It's a good jumping point to actually jump into the film, right? So yes. Oh, yeah. My Bloody Valentine, 2009. Opens with a bunch of newspaper articles and a voiceover. Uh, it sounds like it's like a voiceover of a police chief giving, you know, the townsfolk an update on 
what happened in Hanager Mine, or it's the same, it's the same mine, right? Hanager Mine. It's the same mine from the original film. Yes, uh, the yep. mm-hmm. come to find out the the police chief at the time is 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 played by none other than Tom Atkins, who is a veteran horror actor himself. Mm-hmm. Hello, Halloween three. But they 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 kind of use the same basic story. The there was an accident at the mine. Five men got trapped in the mine. Harry Warden was one of them. And while they were down there, in order to survive, Harry basically killed the other men with a pickaxe so that he could conserve his energy or conserve the air, right? Because if you're trapped in a small space, kill the kill the other people, you're you're gonna have more opportunity for air apparently i don't know how that works i've never really been in a mine but okay we'll go with it right he's in a coma he's been in a coma since getting out of the mine so we flash forward to one year later which is one year after the initial accident at the mine right and we get this hospital scene where harry is in bed in his coma but he's having flashbacks of the explosion and it actually knocks him out of the coma he wakes up the title card pops up, which when you're when, if if you're not watching the film in 3D, th- this opening scene with like the uh, newspapers flying towards the screen and then the the title card reveal, I hate to say it, but looks kind of cheesy and dated. Oh, Troy, I mean, that that right there is something that I think needs to be acknowledged in general. It's not just this title sequence. One one of the flaws of the film, and I, I love this film, but I got to say it, it. One of the things that's hard for me to get over is how poorly this 3D animation CGI has aged over the course of the 10 plus years. It, I mean, it's like the equivalent of like a Final Destination 4. It's distractingly off. Not only that, but the way they shoot the movie itself has a very specific kind of look and flow to it to accommodate that 3D style of, of uh, cinematography that was kind of re-sparking there for a moment in the, the late 2000s. Um, this was one of the first of them, and it shows... It's very obvious in the fluidity of certain shots and everything and just certain decisions they make. But some of these effects are uh, uh, distractingly digital. Yes. And that is the that is the drawback, huge drawback of using CGI for your special effects, folks, because it ages. And more often than not, it ages poorly. And I think that this is an example of some of these effects, these death scenes and some of these effects aged extremely poorly. And it's only been 10 years, you know, at least with practical effects. Okay. They, they might not look the best, but I don't think they age as poorly as CGI effects do. I mean, look at the films from the eighties, all the films that we have covered that have tremendously effective gore scenes. We talked about the prowler, um, intruder, uh, even the original My Bloody Valentine, all of these effects have aged very well 40 years later and they're practical effects. So I guess my point is, folks, if you're making a film, unless you absolutely have to rely on CGI for your special effects, especially if it's a slasher movie, uh, I'd warn against it because they do not age well at all. And this is a perfect example of it. And I will say that it doesn't ruin the movie for me, but it does prevent it from being what I think could be like a landmark 
like revitalization of the genre. No, it doesn't ruin the movie. But I'm just saying, like watching it this time around, I'm like, shit, this kind of looks really cheesy. It's. I almost wish they would go in and like digitally fix it or what have you, because they they were filming on a specific kind of camera for these 3D movies. I remember this being a thing, and it was a new style of like 3D technology. So they had to shoot shoot these scenes a certain way. It's just a bummer. It it shows, but whatever. It it is what it is. Yeah, this was one of the first 3D movies that the the whole entire film was very much um, looked. There was a dimension to the entire film. I can't. I'm. I'm skip. The word is escaping me. A depth to the entire film. Like when you watched it, it felt like you were actually there. This was one of the first films that used that 3D technology. Generally, like me, you growing up, or maybe me, because I'm older than you, but like 3D. To me, when I was growing up, was like Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, where the only three, the only thing in three D were the actual effects that were meant to be in three D. You know, like the eyeball popping out at you, uh, the arrow when Vera gets shot coming towards you. This whole movie, this whole My Bloody Valentine three D remake, was in three D. So when you were watching the film through the three D glasses, it, the whole thing looked. I mean, it was there was depth to it. It looked like you were actually in the scene, which was unheard of for the time. I think this was one of the first movies that used that technology. And when seeing it in the theaters, it, it did prove effective. I will give it that. Oh, it worked. It, it was really awesome to see it in theaters. But like I said, I just noticed this time around, it's like, oh gosh, some of this stuff hasn't aged well. Harry Warden wakes up from his coma and basically slaughters the entire hospital because we get... The sheriff, Tom Atkins, showing up, Sheriff Burke, and literally he has killed everybody in the entire hospital and drawn hearts on the walls. He even killed that poor nurse and stuck her heart in a Valentine uh, Valentine candy box. I, I don't understand how one man could have single-handedly... I mean, like, they're wanting to open with a bang. I get it. And like I said, this whole movie... It seems the goal beginning to end is raise the stakes, whether it's for the betterment of the film or not. Raise the fucking stakes. This opening, significantly more graphic than the story from the original film, where you got that little flashback about him being the sole survivor of the six men and eating the others. In this one, he doesn't eat the other five men. I think there's six overall. He's the sixth. But they do mention this whole side story of him having killed them with a pickaxe. And like, I will say that the story of Harry is kind of convoluted because you could have removed this whole mystery of him killing the other men for the air and just saying that he's the only one that survived, but was in a coma until now. And just, you know, woke up from the coma and was so angry that then he he killed all these people. For some reason, he apparently also killed these men beforehand as well. And it just makes for like, it's kind of convoluted, but the original story was also kind of convoluted. So in a way, it just feels like authentic. It feels very My Bloody Valentine. It just seems like there's like one or two extra layers to the onion that they could have just peeled back and left on the cutting room floor, you know? I want to know what he killed all of these people with. He didn't have a pickaxe in the hospital, I would assume. So what did he kill? How with? like how did he did he take them all by surprise? Like did he one by one? Like there's a lot of people. Okay, exactly. Exactly. We're getting into the whole slasher. It's a slasher film. You know what I mean? Yeah. You suspend yes. disbelief. And right now, one of the hottest, and I've I'm sorry, I've I've been on social media forever, Roger, and and, and 
I have never seen such a divisive response to a film in the last couple of days. And I'm going to bring it up now. Then I have to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, sequel that just came out oh on Netflix. Goodness. I I have just my eyeballs have bled reading some of these posts about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. And I guess the, I'm bringing it up because it's like if you're watching, if you're going into a slasher film, right? You got to suspend some disbelief. Oh my god, yes. You know. And people are like all over that film criticizing it because the characters are making stupid decisions or the characters are unlikable or blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry. Have you never watched a slasher film in your entire fucking life? <laughs> Thank you. I mean, Thank you, though. <laughs> that is the that is the they've always been full of unlikable characters. They've always been full of characters making stupid decisions. Uh, and I get it because the Texas Chainsaw Massacre film is a s- direct sequel to the original 1974 version, which is a classic, iconic classic. Okay. I think people's opinions and people's emotions are a little bit stronger because they have such a strong connection to the original film. And I get that, but still it's a slasher film. You know, we were sitting here talking about this, my bloody Valentine remake, which as you mentioned earlier in the episode, this is pretty widely a pretty widely liked film. I mean, I remember to this day, this film gets a lot of praise. This film is full of stupid ass shit that characters do. The character that, that, that the killer is able to do way more than the, let's say the Texas chainsaw massacre 2022 film. Oh yeah. So it's like, you gotta, you gotta be consistent at least, yeah. you know, once I realized that, you know, once I was watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre film and I realized Roger that the filmmakers, and I'm sorry to get off this little tangent, we'll get back. But I realized the film, when I, the minute I realized, you know what, these filmmakers have no desire to try to make a faithful sequel to the original film and match its style and the visceral effect of the first film. They weren't looking to do that. Once I realized that I just sat back, ate my popcorn and had a fucking blast with the carnage that was the on screen. Expertly executed carnage. Listen, I don't give a fuck about any, I don't need to know any of their names. I don't want them to survive. If one of them survives, it means it's, that's one less body to count. So, so I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you and I will get into this movie, and I'm excited to discuss that with you separately because I have I have opinions. But overall, I fucking loved it. I think that needs to be a Patreon episode, Jack. Oh my opinion. god! Well, people are fired up, and people, and everyone has opinions. But- That's why we're not putting it on our main feed because we'll be canceled. Because apparently, you can't have an opinion, you know, about a film anymore without. I, I don't know. Okay, let's get back to my bloody Valentine. Yeah, <laughs> back to the focus. And one thing I do want to say that you said there, though, is I I completely agree with you. The in order to properly enjoy this film, you have to suspend your disbelief because it's chock full of absurd kills that shouldn't work. The killer throwing pickaxes and hitting the target. Uh, it's just uh, absurd timing, like just by happenstance, like it's, it's really a stretch of the imagination, but it works. If you can kind of just live in this alternate reality, it works. (laughs) Don't think too hard about it because it doesn't even make sense. A lot of the scenes don't even make sense when you find out who the actual killer is and you go back and watch the film a second time. You're like, wait a minute. Yeah. You know? 
Um, but yeah, so he has slaughtered this entire, and we're not talking folks. We're not talking like two or three people. This fucker somehow who was just spent a year in a coma, <laughs> woke up with a next, enough strength and apparently was able to find out enough weapons to wipe out the entire fucking hospital. I'm saying, I'm thinking at least 50 people died in this massacre. Oh, it was, there's bodies everywhere. There's bodies <laughs> fucking up and down the hallway. There's blood everywhere. Nobody there. You can't tell me there was not one person that heard this, this and was able to like get a gun, get a something. Defend themselves. <laughs> like, like, how helpless are these people? They just, obviously they deserve to die. If not one of them could fucking manage this shit, like they deserve it. They find the heart in the box and the sheriff's like, who did this? And his deputy's like, Harry Warden. And the sheriff's like, Harry Warden, he's in a coma. Well, he must've woke up. I'm telling you some great dialogue here, Roger. Oh my God! These two elderly, uh, like these veteran actors. Like this, this police department. At least this current generation of this police department are so aged. Like <laughs> they're the least intimidating police officers I've ever seen. They look straight out of a fucking nursing home. Well, I, I, uh, but <laughs> I, I love Tom Atkins, but he the way he delivers this line, I just I started laughing. It's like I love it. He looks at the camera because his deputy is like Harry Warden. But he's he escaped, and Tom Atkins looks right at the camera, and his his face is framed in this heart that's drawn on the wall, and he goes, "I wonder where he's going." <laughs> it's like, oh, poor poor Tom Atkins. Couldn't you give him some better lines? At least he's got some good fucking scenes in this movie, though. I gotta say that, like, he does the most with with his material, and he has a pretty kick ass scene towards the end of the film. I I gotta admit it. Um, but I do want to acknowledge that in the midst of all this, it has been stated through flashback that the whole reason for this whole mind collapse falls back on Tom's character. It's similar to the backstory from the original film. Remember the two gentlemen who chose to go off to the dance and let them, them, it's to do with the methane. They let the methane levels get too high. This movie's smart. It cuts the dance out completely. There's no fucking dance, no talks of a dance. There's no dance. Um, But they do keep this whole kind of backstory with the whole methane issue that causes the explosion. But now in this restructuring, it falls back on the character of Tom. His father owns the mines. He's not the mayor. He owns the mines. And he... um has you know he has his son working there for him his son tom is the reason for this explosion so uh, harry is kind of it seems almost in a way like after he's done it with his massacre of thousands at the hospital his kind of goal it seems is to actually find tom's character because he's even he's woken up by the flashbacks of of the interactions with him so it seems like he's hunting him down because of what he did yeah well after this hospital massacre, and uh, we are at a party. They cut the dance out of the film, but there is this short scene of all of the characters. The, the younger characters are going to the mine to have their Valentine's party. So we get introduced to Axel, Irene, blonde Irene, Sarah and Tom, who are headed to this party. And we learn real quick that Axel already has an issue with Tom, right? He's like bitching to Irene about, Oh, I don't want that fucker here. Why is he here? Him and Sarah show up and they get a cute little picture together by Irene. And as they're going to the mine, Sarah is very conscientious of Tom's history with the mine. She tells him, Hey, 
you know what? You don't have to do this. If you don't want to go in the mine, we don't have to. He's like, no, 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 I'm good. We're here. We're going to have fun. But I forgot the beer in the truck. So I'm going to go back and get it. You go ahead. Um, so Sarah goes into the mine alone. I do like these the scenes in the mine. The mine, the mine scenes in this film, just like the original film, are very effective, very claustrophobic looking. You know, you do feel like you are there in the in these tunnels with the characters. Um, as she's walking through the mine trying to find her friends, this random guy pops out and like scares her. Like he's like, ah, and she screams. He's like, oh, did I scare you? What, did you think I was Harry Warden? And all of a sudden, the fucking pickaxe busts through his skull and pops his eyeball out. It's supposed to be a 3D effect. However, if you're not watching it in 3D, it looks very obviously CGI'd. Yeah, it's a rough note to start on is like the first. I mean, like, yes, we've seen we saw the reveal of what appeared to be a genocide in the hospital. Um, but over here, when you, this, you know, this being the first actual kill on camera that we're seeing, it, it kind of does start with like a, it's like a deflated balloon almost, you know, like it's uh, the digital effect is just so bad. Uh, some of them aren't as bad as, as this one, but this one, it just is a really weak note to start on that. And like, because they're trying to tell this whole little chunk of the story, this flashback piece, um, it has its pros and it has its cons. Its pros, they talked about the whole relationship in the original film. They talked about the fact that they used to date. I like seeing it. Like, it's giving these characters so much more texture, you know? However, now we have this whole situation of what is a pretty extensive flashback to open the film, and it just kind of keeps going. And it's very entertaining because they move it really quick. But at this point, like, it's already taken a while. They're not really going to take time to build up the suspense of entering into the mines. She kind of just walks in, runs into this guy, and boom, Harry Warden's there, and he's killing people. And it just, like, kind of hits out of nowhere. And it almost feels kind of abrupt. Like, I haven't had enough time yet to, to really spend any time with these characters or get to know them. So it makes for this flashback to feel kind of just rushed especially in regards to these specific characters. We're in it. She's in the mine. Boom. She gets attacked. That's a very good word. Abrupt. Because yeah, it happens very abruptly. Once this guy gets the pickaxe through his head, um, he, Harry Ward starts giving her a chase and she's, she's running through the mine and she sees all of the, these dead bodies just littered throughout this mine until Axel is able to grab her and pulls her into their little hiding nook with, with Irene. And they're, they're hiding there. And all of a sudden, this fucking random dude shows up calling for his friend, Jason. He's like, Jason, where are you? And they're trying to like silently warn him that Harry's like right up there. Uh, but the dude sees him and it's pretty much too late because Harry starts chasing him and he t- 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 turns around to run and runs right into a fucking beam. <laughs> Something I would do probably bashes his head on the beam and falls falls so that Harry's able to come and put the pickaxe through his face a pretty good effect i'll say like in, in contrast to the other well one. because they don't they don't linger on it it happens really quick yeah yeah it's well executed sequence um i think another thing that i noticed at this point uh that kind of stuck with me over like, the course of the whole film while this movie does a really good job of uh embracing the feel and the vibe of the original movie it doesn't feel 
nearly as blue collar. I mean, you get a lot of beautiful sweeping shots of the city, of this dying city, but um, you don't meet as many of the characters that live inside of it. And so the few times that you see some of these random, like, I don't know, teens or 20-somethings partying in this mine, which, what is that? Even like how do people party in mines on a regular basis enough to tell multiple stories worth of people having these goddamn parties in these mines. But um, all the characters I get introduced to within this, this specific segment feel very inauthentic. They're literally just fodder. Each one has maybe a line and they're killed. One chick, she literally just <laughs> runs into the shot and gets a shovel through her jaw in the middle of this fight. Like, But like these characters, they're not anybody who we've ever seen before. We have absolutely no connection to them whatsoever. And one of the perks we talked about the last movie is that even with the smaller characters, it found a way to give them some humanity. Like Sylvia, having the little moments that she does before she dies... I still feel like she was a fleshed out character, even though she didn't do a ton. This movie, you see so many bodies just scattered all over the place. Random people in this opening getting killed left and right, but they have no real connection to the story. They're just kind of there, and it feels awkward. There to up the body count. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're attacked. There's a struggle with Harry. Once he kills this random kid, they get out of their hiding spot and... Harry's able to attack them. He knocks Axel down and Sarah attacks him with a shovel, hits him. And this is where this girl, where'd she come from? She just runs it out of nowhere. What, but was she, but I didn't, was she trying to run like past them or was she trying to run at Harry to <laughs> knock him? What was she doing? Maybe she's like a friend that we just didn't get to meet yet. She's like, oh my God, you guys, I'm going to help. And she like runs in to save the day, but she just gets killed. <laughs> like, I mean, she will be missed, I guess. She runs into the scene and is immediately dispatched with the shovel. She has the shovel shoved into her mouth. You don't even see her face without the shovel through it. No, you don't. (laughs) She's pinned up against this beam and then he takes his uh, pickaxe and hammers it into her head even farther. So basically it chops her head in half. I have to say there is this cool scene where like her, the top part of her head like slides down the, the shovel which looks kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It like kind of slips down. It has a very 3DS kind of motion to it, but um, it's a cool, it is a cool moment. Like it's, it's a well-constructed kill. Uh, this leads to all the focal characters fleeing uh, together. You've got uh, Irene, Axel, Sarah, and they do encounter Tom. He does group up with them. So they take off running and the killer is right on their heels. Uh, especially close to Tom. So he's the last one behind. Uh, One by one, they reach the vehicle and they start getting into the vehicle. The killer does manage to swing his pickaxe at Tom. He doesn't injure him, but he does knock him to the ground. And he walls himself off so that he is between Tom and the vehicle, uh, causing Sarah to flip her shit, understandably so. Well, yeah, and this is when they get into the truck. And this is, uh, it's Axel... Sarah and Irene get into the truck and this is when Harry throws one of his pickaxes and it hits the windshield and goes into the windshield and misses Sarah's face by like a half an inch. Yeah, this is a this is a shot that even with it having a CGI gloss to it, this sequence still works for me. Like I love how this just does that push in on the vehicle. You see her face look dead into the camera and boom, it it busts through the glass. It's like not even an inch away from her eye. 
No, and in 3D, I remember this looking pretty damn fucking cool. You actually jump like it looks like it's coming right at you, but it's still really effective. Uh, they get they take off. They leave Tom there. And actually in the mine, Harry is going to kill Tom. He, ha- he raises his pickaxe, but then he's shot several times by Sheriff. Sheriff Brooks shows up to save the day just in time. Just in fucking time. And this does kind of culminate with this big moment where Harry is pursued into the mine. He gets shot a couple times. Uh, the sheriff and his deputy take off after him, leaving Tom behind injured. And the flashback kind of ends there. It, it leaves you hanging whether or not uh, Harry was actually taken care of. We cut to 10 years later. And to me, this whole scene with like the newspaper report or the news anchor doing this news report, even even the score sound sounded and reminded me the way it's filmed reminded me of the closing uh of scream the original scream where gail is standing out in, outside the house giving her news report and there's the, the the score the music's playing and you just get this wide sweeping overview this whole scene screamed screamed to me a lot of this film roger screams scream to me and it makes sense because the director of this film patrick lucier actually edited every single scream film um, he worked with wes craven very closely on editing scream scream 2 scream 3 he edited new nightmare um so i don't know i don't know if it's just coincidental or but it screams scream to me there's the there's the news anchor giving her little Oh, it's the 10 year anniversary of the, the murders of that happened when Harry Warden went on his murderous rampage and killed 26 people. Here's the sheriff with his, what, what, what do you have to say, sheriff? And it's Axel. Axel. Axel is now sheriff. An interesting twist on the original story. Um, and a nice layer, I have to say. And you know what? I'm going to agree with you on that. The scream vibes. You know what I think also helps that, Troy, is the fact that while this doesn't feel, like I say, it doesn't feel quite as blue collar as the original film, it does feel small town. And the original Scream felt very on the outskirts of town. You know, the houses being set out in more of a rural area with a lot, like big open lawns and everything. Um, when you do get some of these house sequences towards the end of the film or the middle towards the end of the film, uh, have a very similar vibe to them. Big old wooden houses, you know, uh, with big staircases, stuff like that. So I I see exactly what you're saying. I think a lot of it's the setting Um, and the overall, yeah, the overall vibe, the suspicion behind who could be behind the mask. Is it Harry or is it somebody else? Uh, I agree with you on that. So at this point, uh, we are now in the present day. We pretty quickly get introduced to the fact that the character of Tom has returned to this town and we're kind of fed his story gradually as it goes on. But as soon as he reenters this town, uh, it, it has a very negative energy about it. You can tell right off the bat, without him even saying a word, that he is not wanting to be here. Well, you also find out, though, that, that Sarah is now married to Axel, which is kind of the big plot twist in the film, is Sarah and Axel are now together. They're married. They have a child. However, we do realize real quick that Axel's kind of an asshole. I don't even want to say 
kind of an asshole. He is an asshole. Oh God! Because yeah. after um, Sarah goes to, you know, they're they're in the the local di- diner together, and he's on the news. They're watching the news and and whatnot. So, and Sarah comes in and. She's giving him a kiss and everything before work. And they're just kind of joking around for, he's like, you missed me on TV. And she's like, Oh, were you good? And, and, and what, whatever he leaves. And we find out that he is having an affair with the young girl, Megan, who works with Sarah at the grocery store. When we say young girl, let's be clear. This girl appears to be wearing a training bra. Like, I mean, she is, I'd have to say maybe 18, 19 years old. Like it really paints Axel in a poor light, not only because he's cheating on his lovely wife who has spawned him a horrifying looking blonde child, uh, but but also the fact that like he would be sleeping with a girl so young. It's so uncomfortable. And the story gets only more uncomfortable as it goes on, to be honest. But yeah, that's Megan, the seductress, the cherub harlot that's got eyes for axel she's always watching well not only that roger there's a plot point that 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 is brought up here but is never revisited and there's no point to it at all it's that she gives him a valentine box of chocolates after they're done fucking well she does say oh my god why do you bring me to this creepy house can we get a hotel next time and he's like oh yeah that'd look real nice the sheriff pulling up to a hotel and checking in and so she gives him this Valentine, little Valentine's box of chocolates, and he opens it, and there's a card that says, Forever yours, love Megan. And he's like, Oh, well, I didn't get you anything. And she gets real close to him and she's like, You already have. I'm pregnant. This girl is so fucking thrilled to be pregnant with this man's baby. But there's but this is never brought up again. No, I think the only thing that this really ties into is the whole this card and heart-shaped box of chocolates remain in this location. The house that they're fucking in, it's Axel's father's old home. It's, like, abandoned now. and But it's a location that comes into play multiple times. So this is just a motivator for her to leave this gift here. The one that... Or Axel leaves this gift that she provides here because this card does get discovered later. Uh, but the baby aspect doesn't get brought up. The only thing I can think of is there is a scene later involving Megan in which I think it gives it a little more shock knowing the fact that she is pregnant after what happens to her. You get what I mean? I think that might've been the only reason that they threw that in there was to just add that extra like oomph to uh, what inevitably happens to her. Or to plant, you know, suspicion on Axel being the killer, because obviously if she has a, if she has this baby, it's going to become pretty common knowledge, probably who the father is. I'm sure she's not going to hide it. So it would make sense that if he was the killer, he'd want to off her, right? So now we cut to Tom is in town. He goes to check out the mine, but he doesn't really go in. He just kind of drives up to it and looks at it. It's a very ominous looking mine. He goes back into town and knocks on elderly Ben. Ben is, I guess he's one of the workers at the mine. He's been there forever. And Tom goes to his house and is like, hey, I'm here to sign the papers. And Ben's like, oh, well, they moved the signing to Monday. But you want to come in and have a drink? And Tom agrees. And immediately Ben starts like scolding him, like for selling the mine. Like, you can't do this. What are you doing? This is the mine is this town's bloodline. Your father would be so disappointed in you. We have to mention uh, Tom's father recently passed away. And, and Tom's like, I don't care about this town. It's not my problem. I'm selling the mine. And that's that's it. 
And this Ben dude is like, here, well, tell the, tell it to your father and like hands him up the box that has uh, Tom's father's ashes in it. Again, I, I don't know, like this guy, this old guy, Ben is being so like aggressively angry about this. Yeah, but I feel, Troy, that this is one of the, I mean, out of all the adjustments they've made to the storyline, I really think this whole addition of Tom's involvement with the mine being sold and the anger within the city toward him, it adds so much more of a threat factor and a, yeah. like a motivation for people to want to off him. I mean, I, I really think it was one of the smartest adjustments they made because you don't know who to fucking trust. And the character of Ben, I, I do like another thing I, I enjoy about the, what they did here with the characters is they've really kept the structure of the original film pretty much the same. The original film had the whole, you know, police sheriff side story but they've consolidated that as well but they still have these elements of that that are still active and having char- the character like ben and uh and the former sheriff and everything come into play makes it feel very much like a an acknowledgement of the original storyline yeah no i like that concept i'm just like i think i i understand i understand why they're doing it i'm like they're they're trying to you know, because at the end of the day, if you've seen the first Mind Bloody Valentine, you're going to realize that more than likely the killer is not Harry Warden. It's somebody else. So you're going mm-hmm. to try to figure out who it is. And they use this plot point of the townsfolk being angry at Tom for selling the mine, I think, to try to give us more red herrings. But I would never in a million years buy that this elderly old man is the one that's going around killing everybody in town right but he's just so angry about it well he did sound wasn't he wasn't he um his father's former partner though i don't know if they're a partner or what because tom is tom's like i own i'm the primary shareholder now i don't know i could i didn't gather what his responsibility is i know that when he goes to the mine later in the film uh ben is there like working in the mine or he at least goes to look for ben working in the mine but after he leaves Ben's house, he goes to the Thunderbird Motel. Oh my God, this joint. To check in. It's called the Thunderbird Motel, which is a kind of an interesting name because it seems to be very Valentine themed. Like the bathtubs are heart shaped. There's hearts all over the, the doors. Numbers are heart shaped, but it's called the Thunderbird Motel. Uh, as he's approaching, this little, little bulldog, French bulldog comes running out and he, Tom picks it up. And we are now introduced to the, the the little woman that runs the motel. (gasps) Well, I don't know. Does she have a name? That's what I was just going to say. I was thinking. I don't know if she has a name or not. Well, I mean, I know that her uh, four-legged child certainly has a name. It's Lois. Lois, yeah. Lois. You hear it about 30 times. Lois. Get back here, Lois. Uh, Lois. Like, this woman... Listen, this woman is here for shock and effect. And for her purpose, she does a great job. I did not expect this woman to come strutting out of this place, but here we are. She's wearing cowboy boots and a a usually busty top. And she immediately has eyes for Tom. Uh, She doesn't say much. Can't really get a lot of dialogue out too well. But she (laughs) is... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but for what she what she lacks in acting abilities, she certainly makes up for an effect. 
Well, she's wearing that little jean miniskirt mini and these cowboy <laughs> boots that are probably five sizes too big for her. She's literally about three foot tall. She's a, she's a little woman. I mean, she's a little woman. She's very tiny. And, it's, and they definitely, I think, cast her specifically as such. <laughs> I think. Oh, yeah. It, it's unexpected. But, I mean, she's one of the best parts of the movie. <laughs> Uh, she actually gives him a room and he's walking to his room and we hear, we hear a couple that are fucking. And of course his room has to be next to their room. So he's going to be kept up all night. He's even like rolling his eyes and he gets his sleeping pills, take his sleeping pills to, um, to be able to deal with this fucking loud mouth woman that's being fucked next door. But we find out lo and behold, who is it? Uh, it's good old Irene. It's Irene from the opening scene in the mine, the blonde that was dating uh, Axel. She is now the town lot lizard, apparently. Yeah, Betsy Rue. Betsy Rue, an actress who's got, I mean, this woman is devoted to the craft. Because what what's to come for the character of Irene? She doesn't have much time left on camera. But uh, it's certainly a memorable fucking sequence. I'll say that much. I also want to acknowledge that the man who she's riding. Todd Farmer. Todd Farmer, who's first of all, looking good. Looking real good. He, uh, he wrote the screenplay for this film. Yeah. He also wrote Jason X. Yes, he wrote Jason X and he wrote this screenplay and they got him to do this nude scene. Bless their hearts because he has a nice little ass. Oh my God, it's a, plump, it's a plump little fanny. It looks really nice <laughs> and it's got a little jiggle to it. You get a lot of it. Um, but yeah, so after they have this very intense sex sequence in which Betsy Rue acknowledges her beauty in the mirrored ceiling and everything, there's a moment where she discovers that this truck driver, Frank, has been filming their sex session and he has a little camera um, and, and she is none too pleased. Uh, Irene is actually rather irate and she, she proceeds to reach into her bag and pull out a gun and make the bold decision of strutting across a gravel parking lot fully Nude. This woman, the rest of the time that she is alive on camera, and dead, actually, this woman wears nothing but a pair of massive stripper heels. You are seeing, a, no, and we're not, if you have not seen this film, you are seeing a completely nude, that's her whole scene, she is nude from top to bottom. Bless her heart, though. You know, she was devoted to this role, and she's quite effective, I think. She storms out and he's getting into his truck and she's like, Frank, God damn it. Give me that video or I'm going to shoot you. And he's like, listen, Irene, I don't want you anymore. And I know that that gun's not loaded. And she's like, oh, fuck you. And she throws it at him and it hits him in the face. And he's like, oh, he's like, you fucking whore. I love her. And he opens his door to get into his truck and has the pickaxe slammed through the top of his skull. Yeah, it comes out of fucking nowhere. The killer apparently has been waiting this entire time within the driver's seat of the semi-truck. Um, and he kills Frank the trucker out of nowhere. Irene, still naked, uh, <laughs> screams and takes off sprinting. And I gotta say, Betsy Rue is working her ass off across the board with this movie. But nothing impresses me more than the fact that this woman gives a full sprint 
butt naked in stripper heels. I mean, these shoes, I'd be rolling my ankle and breaking my leg. And she's fucking just sprinting. I mean, that that had to be her audition alone, sprinting in those fucking shoes. But she does it. Uh, and she nudely gets back into the hotel. Yeah. I want to know. Yeah. I want to go back to that. How did the killer know a like which semi to, to get into? Cause there's a lot of semis in this parking lot. Cause it seems like it's like a trucker motel and then B. Yeah. Was he just, he was just going to sit in there all night. What if Frank decided to spend the night with, with Irene? This is a film where you got to ask very few questions because I know I, I mean, I know. Troy, come on, Troy. <laughs> Let's think about what we're talking about here. My bloody Valentine, not even the original, the remake, the 3d remake. <laughs> uh, so now we got Irene hiding in the hotel. And there is one moment I want to acknowledge. She gets back inside the, the main entrance way. And if you look closely, you'll notice on the wall, there's a portrait of that tiny woman hanging obviously on the wall. It's like a, it's like a, like a very serious portrait of her face and you can see it clear as day in several moments, but just keep an eye peeled for it. It's, it's a good thing. Uh, so she's running all through this, this building and she hides underneath this bed naked still. <laughs> and, um, She's waiting and she watches for the killer to come in and standard, you know, slasher fare. He walks around the room and finally um, hears the sound of the dog barking and he goes into a place and hides. And let me tell you, this moment is a standout moment for a lot of reasons. But the first thing that stands out to me is the shot of this woman's little legs (laughs) in these goddamn cowboy boots just walking up. And she's like, Lois, Lois. And she thinks that the dog is in the closet and she confidently accuses him of such and starts to make her way to the closet and it busts open. She's like, you're in big trouble. This woman cannot act, but I still love her. so much. I, I wanted to say this. Poor, she, she cannot act worth a shit. But boy, is she a, a joy to, to watch on screen with her little cowboy boots. Oh, my God. She's got so much personality and her apparel. I cannot get over this woman's outfit, but the closet busts open to reveal the killer, of course. And the woman just kind of looks, <laughs> looks up at him like, oh, <laughs> he in one foul swoop takes his pickaxe and like brings it up through her jaw. And you just see those little legs go like up into the sky, just hanging <laughs> limply and her entire body gets busted through the ceiling like blowing out all the lights it is one of the best moments in the film. oh yeah poor lady in the meantime irene is under the bed watching this go down and she can't keep her fucking mouth shut she starts screaming and he hears her the killer hears her uh, and flips the, over the bed and she's under there but the, like the bed frame is still on top of her which what the fuck good is that? Right. It's a bed frame. Like you're, that's not going to protect you. It's like the spring, the spring of the, the bed. And there's this scene where he goes to get his pickaxe and he like yanks it out of this poor woman. And you see her body fall. <laughs> Just like, like limply dropped to the ground. It's yeah. Oh, that poor woman. Oh, she didn't know what was about to hit her. But uh, so, yeah. So at, at this point you've got, I hiding behind this, Basically nothing. <laughs> the bed frame. It's just wire. And he's taunting her 
with the tip of this axe. And we get a lot of these like 3D kind of startle moments that you know they're like they just drew it out for the sake of the 3D like experience. Uh, and then finally, he does one final stab at her right at her torso, and a beautiful portrait of Lewis is destroyed with a splatter of blood. Yeah, you don't actually see. You see the aftermath, but you don't actually see this. Like, you don't see any penetration or anything. It just, you see a splatter of blood. I think this must be a 3D thing, Troy, but I also noticed that this movie fucking loves dissolves. And I kind of thought, like, we had moved on from dissolves as, like, I don't know. Transitions, yeah. Yeah, like, I just didn't, I didn't think they really happened that much anymore. I wonder if it's something to do with the 3D cinematography. Um, but there are more dissolves in this movie than anything I've seen for the last 50 years. <laughs> uh, well, the next day, the cops, uh, the sheriff, Sheriff Axel and his deputies show up at the scene. They find the dead Frank laying out in the parking lot. They find Irene in the bathtub, the heart shaped bathtub. Now her t- chest has been cut open and her heart is removed. It's very graphic. It is very graphic. Like you see the whole slit from like her her um, uh, top of her chest all the way down to the bottom of her gut. And it's just like this big black open hole. It's really violent. They're wondering who could have done it. So they checked the hotel reservation book to see just who has checked in the previous night. And of course, Tom's name is there clear as day as the last person that's checked in. Dun, dun, dun. And then... Uh, to top it all off, a, a, a very lesbian police officer enters the room and she says, Hey, Sheriff, we found a camera. You ain't going <laughs> to believe what's on it. She's blown away by it. Oh, uh, you're talking about Officer Ferris? Oh, my God. She is a lesbian. <laughs> lesbian. I love her. I can't get enough of her. I also love all the little details associated with the film, even in like the tiny little um the tiniest of details that they kind of associate with certain scenes like the next scene that we go to is sarah at her place of work she works at the supermarket and i know this is so subtle but if you remember the original film there's the scene where tj picks sarah up from her job and she gets pulled out of the supermarket that looks very similar to this specific supermarket. And they kept, they even kept this tiny little detail of something so minuscule. And I don't know if they did that on purpose, but because of that, it feels like, again, very authentic within this universe. It feels like very self-aware, you know? Well, and they, Tom shows up to surprise her and they have almost, they have a very abridged version of the exact same conversation that TJ and Sarah have in the original where she is almost crying asking him why he left her nobody knew where you went where did you go you just left me here uh but they're having in the supermarket so they did keep that as well they do a like a lot of nice little uh uh, nods to the original he does notice a picture behind her of her uh, axel and now they're that children of the damned looking child that they have that blonde thing that platinum blonde that looks like neither of them <laughs> that can't act either is one line in the film I'm like oh god could you have had him do it got a couple more takes to at least make it sound a little less awkward in in my mind that child was a prominent element of the original script and he was cut down to what he is in this because he simply cannot act because this kid 
is horrifying. He's scarier than anything else in this movie. And like, you could just tell he's so uncomfortable on camera. He had to be related to somebody in the film. Uh, She's just like, you know what? You left me. I'm married to Axel now. And it kind of is what it is. And he's like, well, I just wanted to come say hi to you. It's always great seeing you. I'm just taking care of some business and I'll be gone by Monday. Uh, And he leaves. And Megan is very suspicious about it because it cut. Oh, that fucking, that fucking. Megan is a fucking stone cold bitch. But I kind of like her because of it. I, I don't know. I can relate. Um, I do want to say that these two, uh, Jensen Eccles and Jamie King, are probably better than they need to be, all things considered. I mean, he's got he's got a very like dry, monotone delivery with all of his dialogue ever. It's just his voice. But he's also very like charismatic and charming on camera. And it makes for him just to be very like enticing. And you want him to be the good guy just because he's like... I mean, he's fucking, he's beautiful, but he's also like, just got this like charming quality to him. And she's always great. I think in most every role I've ever seen her play, but she's very warm in this role. Um, And she's very like, she's kind of beaten down. You can see it in this character. Like this is the Sarah and Axel and Tom from the original movie after 10 years of struggling. These characters are way harder they're more hardened. They've been through more shit. They're just, um, they're not as like wide-eyed as the original cast. These are grown adults. We're following like what I expect to be 30-somethings who are going through 30-something shit, like cheating, learning of these affairs, uh, having a family structure that's crumbling, struggling with mental illness. These characters are just going through a lot more. It gives them a, a little bit more depth. And you uh, form, I think, a lot stronger emotions towards these characters like i i can tell you that i strongly dislike the character of axel in this film whereas the first film you know i've kind of felt equal between him and and tj in the first film axel really wasn't such a just a piece of shit in the original film as he is in this one he he does call after tom leaves he calls uh sarah to tell her that irene was murdered because actually we forgot that before Tom shows up, fucking Megan runs in and she's like, I'm sorry I'm late again, but there was a murder at the motel. There was tons of cop cars there. Well, Axel calls Sarah and tells her it was Irene at the police station. We see Axel's watching that video of Irene running from the semi butt ass naked when officer Ferris, the sensible lesbian comes in and she's like, you got a Valentine. Of course, it's a heart shaped box. He opens it and it's a heart. It's Irene's heart is in the Valentine's Day box. I really like that. If you if you think about how the original movie opens and how this all kind of plays out, there's they're hitting all of like the key moments from the original film. The blonde, like the beautiful blonde getting killed. You only saw her for a few seconds in the original film. Here it's a big fucking chase scene, but it still has it, it has the same result. The first victim, the first heart. Um, there are so many little winks to the original movie. Uh, and here, when the, the presentation of the heart, it's pretty much dead on the exact same moment, executed in very similar fashion to the original film when they received that first, um, the first box in the police station. Because, you know, they received one at the police station. They, they do it in a very similar way. It feels like, again, that same universe. This is very much acknowledging the presence of the original movie and trying to homage it acknowledge it respect it yeah it's trying to hit all the beats of the original film but the, but again i think it's also it's doing its own thing quite effectively i i must say 
Now, Tom goes to the local bar just for a drink and is immediately uh, just attacked by the old townsfolk. This old man that looks to be in his 80s runs up and punches him. He's like, God damn, you son of a bitch. You're the reason he's back. Harry Ward's coming back for you. And like everyone starts to attack Tom and punch him, including like Red, Red who, who comes into play here in a, in a few scenes later. But Red grabs him and is like, you came to the wrong bar, kid, and tries to punch him. But Tom moves out just in time and he punches a mirror. And finally, Sheriff Burke is there or ex-Sheriff Burke. And he just like, God damn it. You guys shut up and settle down. And He's like, Tom, you need to get out of here. Tom's like, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm selling the mine and I'm out of here. And he's like, yeah, well, I've saved your ass twice before and I won't do it again. I don't know. Again, a scene that shows, I mean, I understand the purpose of the scene definitely to show that there are multiple people in this town that are not too pleased with Tom and his return and what he is trying to accomplish. So any one of them could have a pickaxe to grind. But again, I mean, it'd be, it'd be a little bit different if it weren't like 80 year old men that were, (laughs) that were the ones that were attacking him. Because obviously I'm, I'm assuming just from what I've, how, how I've seen this killer move thus far, that it's probably not an elderly gentleman who. Yeah. These old men are riled up. They're riled up, but they ain't doing any killing because they can barely throw a punch. But I do think it's symbolic of just how the whole city feels about him. And it's more there as a reminder that. As long as Tom is in this city, which they did change the name, by the way. I don't think we even acknowledge that. It's no longer Valentine Bluffs. That was the name of it. It, Yeah, it's Harmony. So again, similar concept, but not the exact same thing. But as long as he's here in Harmony, really, I don't think there's anyone that doesn't hate Tom. Tom is just loathed throughout the town. Um, and, And this is just a reminder of that. Uh, it does result in Red going in to punch him and uh, instead smashing his fist in a mirror and injuring himself, which just does come back into play. Tom leaves the bar. Back at the Palmer residence, Sarah goes in to Axel's office and he's watching the tape of Irene having sex, which is kind of perverted, but it there's a reason why he's doing it. He asks her if she's seen Tom and she's like, no. Well, she's like, yeah, he stopped into the grocery store and said, hi. He's like, well, isn't that sweet? The love of your life coming to see you. And she's like, he's not the love of my life. And he's like, oh, well, what? how do you explain this? You left it on the dresser. And he like tosses the picture of Tom and her that was taken at the beginning of the film by Irene. Tosses that at her. I'm like, dude, you are the one fucking this like 18-year-old grocery store clerk and you're upset that your wife is talking to her ex-boyfriend and being an asshole about it? And at the same time, like, listen, Sarah, I I don't feel bad for you at all. Because, yes, both of these men are extremely problematic. But, my God, could you have landed two sexier fuckers in all the land? Like, good for you, Sarah. Figure it out. <laughs> but, no, I mean, Axel, one thing they do here in this, this version, and you mentioned this about the last one, how... Both Axel and TJ, while there's, you know, reason to suspect them, you still liked both of them. Here, I feel like they try to do the opposite. They try to push it as far as they can to make either of these guys seem more and more suspicious 
Uh, and it does go back and forth, but they really try to like layer it on thick here. And at times it does feel a little bit forced just because they're trying to paint such a bad picture of both of these guys. Well, yeah, but I like I said, like I said, I do not like the Axel character at all in this fil- in this version of the film, like at all. He's an asshole, uh, an adulterous asshole. At least in the original film, the Axel was, was still was charming. And there were scenes, if you remember correctly, there were scenes in the original film that had Axel and TJ very much getting along. This, you don't ever get that. Anytime Axel and Tom are in a scene together in this particular version, they are at each other's throats. They're ready to fight. They've really made it clear that there is a, an extreme tension between the two of them, almost like a loathing. Like these guys do not like each other. And like they are always just, whenever they're on screen together, just staring each other down. There's never a peaceful moment with these two. So it's definitely a more of an elevated relationship between the two characters. He does before she leaves the room. He's like, hey, you need to let me know if Tom contacts you again because he was one of the last people to see Irene and he actually zooms into the tape he's watching and shows it shows Tom walking by the Irene's window while they're having sex while she's having sex with Frank and Sarah is able to see it he's like promise me you'll let me know if Tom contacts you she's like yeah I will Um, next day though he shows up at her work in the morning she's getting ready to go into work and she's like He's like, I just wanted to talk to you before you, while you're not at work. And she's like, well, I am at work. And he's like, you don't have to open the store for 15 more minutes. They go on a walk again, a very reminiscent of the scene between TJ and Sarah and the original when they're walking by the, the, that river because they're walking across a bridge in this scene. And she is just basically laying into him about how shitty of a person he is for selling the mine and running away from his problems. She's like, you left the rest of us to have to pick up the pieces of after what happened here. And you just keep running away from your problems. So you got to decide, you know, do you want to keep running or do you want to face your problems and, and stay put? You can tell it definitely has, you know, some effect on him. It gets his little mind racing. They managed to inject all of these moments with, with more emotional heft too. Like everything just seems more... Um... Uh, severe like like they're like again the stakes raising the stakes even with these emotional moments the scene i know exactly the scene you're comparing it to it to in the original film by the waterfront was more of just like kind of like a confessing each other's love and still having feelings for one another this is that but it's so much more loaded there's so much more at play you've got the recent murders you've got the fact that tom is selling this mine after losing his father like the emotions are just cranked up that much higher which makes for these killings these murders to have a totally different effect on the characters as these as these things progress yeah well he after this conversation he goes to the mine he's gonna go talk to ben so he Goes, goes to the mine, shows up. He's like, hey, I need to see Ben. And the, the foreman's like, well, you can't go down there. And he's like, dude, I grew up in this mine. I think I know it very well. And he's like, fine, I'll have Red take you down. And Red is the dude that, the big dur- burly dude that like punched him at the bar, but missed and punched his window, punched the, the glass. He even like shows him his hand and it's all wrapped up. So he gets in the, um, the car to go into the mine. He goes down. As he's getting out, uh, and, and, and kind of walking through the mine looking for Ben, the fucking miner comes out of nowhere and whaps him with the pickaxe, but it like pushes him into the, 
hits him in the arm with the pick axe and then pushes him into the um, control room, like this fenced in control room and locks him in, like bends the lock so that it's, he can't get out. Then Harry, Harry, the miner goes over to red who is like fixing, like trying to fix something and pickaxes him through the arm. It's a pretty gnarly scene. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's well executed. Yeah. They struggle a bit, uh, until you know, like they're going at it and red is, gets him on the ground and is like swinging the pickaxe at him, but he keeps missing and he swings it one more time. And like the, the miner catches it with his foot and then pushes it up so that it hits him in the forehead and goes into his forehead. All the while, all the while Tom is watching this unfold through the this gate that's or this little cage that's a few feet away. It's surprising to me and kind of confusing that because I'm sure a lot of these kills are a mixture of CGI and practical. But I mean, this is a time where CGI ran rampant. Some of these effects are just so far from hitting the mark. And then you'll have some of these effects that actually look quite fantastic. This whole sequence with red where he gets killed uh, through the forehead, but also like you said, where it goes through his arm. I mean, like it, it makes you grit your teeth when you see it. Like it makes you clench your ass. It looks so painful, you know, like this is a really well executed sequence. And then they have some of these others that feel like they were just kind of slapped in there. And again, I get it. The 3d, like I understand the purpose, but like the, the huge differences in quality with some of the CGI is kind of shocking at times. It, it really is. But then this is a, a particular scene that though, and we'll, we'll have to revisit it when we get to the end, but this is a particular scene that doesn't make a lot of sense. And you, we can maybe say it was a, a cheat right to the audience. Cause this is something that the original film did not pull. This is something that's more out of the along the lines of a film like high tension, you know, and so you have to decide if you have to think as the viewer, do you feel cheated by this scene? Because the scene, the way it plays out just ends up not making a lot of sense. And there's nothing else in the film that justifies why we're seeing what we see in the scene. Do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, no, absolutely. They really, it's one of those things where don't really try to like, if you're going to watch this and try to guess the killer, if you haven't seen this before, you're you're sitting down and watching it and trying to guess the killer based off of rationale, you're not going to figure out the killer. You have to go into like a high tension like mentality. You have to, you know, you have to be in the mentality that like anything goes and things don't necessarily have to make sense in the long run because it definitely like how he ends up being in this situation where he's discovered by these men locked into this cage just simply does not make sense. No, no. Well, once the minor Harry, Harry, we'll just say Harry Warden get, hit, gets this minor or gets red in the head with the pickaxe, he like goes to town on him, whacks him in the chest several times with the pickaxe. That's pretty graphic looking until the rest of the crew hear the commotion and show up and find red dead and find Tom trapped in this cage. They take Tom to the hospital. He's getting sewn up. Ben is there. Sarah is there also. Apparently she delivers Valentine's chocolates on Valentine's day. So she's just randomly in the hospital doing this when she sees that Tom is there being treated. Yeah. That seems a little forced. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, okay, what? Okay. So this bitch works at the local grocery store. She goes to the hospital and delivers 
Yeah, it's just like it's like the filmmakers were like, okay, how can we get these characters in certain situations where they run into each other? Okay, let's have her deliver chocolates at the local hospital, even though this seems like like something this character absolutely would not do. Right. She's a mother. She's working full time at a grocery store. I'm sure she's not taking time out of her day to go <laughs> deliver chocolates. Right. But she sees so um, all the random doctors. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. There's like this run random doctor. Like he's like, ooh, I want I want what you got. Can I have can I have one? And he's like being very flirtatious with her. I'm like, you're a creep. Get out of here. Tom is being very adamant that it was Harry Warden that killed Red. Sarah goes into the room and she's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I was, I was attacked. She's like, by who? And he doesn't answer, but Ben chimes in sarcastically. And he's like, Oh, Harry Warden. And Sarah's like, Harry Warden, what were you doing at the mine? And he's like, well, I went there to tell Ben that I'm not selling it anymore. And Axel just happens to come in and hear that. And he's like, why, why aren't you selling it anymore? Did, did you, did you run into something in town that's making you want to stay? And this is when they get in a little argument about Tom's like, you've always been jealous of me and Sarah. Axel is like, okay, we need to tell him the truth now. This is ridiculous. He's blaming it on a Harry Warden, but we need to tell him what really happened. And it is revealed that Sheriff Burke and Ben actually took Harry Warden out of the mine that night. Yeah. Shot him, shot him, killed him and buried him. So there's no way Harry Warden can be alive. And to prove this, they take Tom to the site where Harry was buried. However, when they get there, it looks like the hole has already been dug up. They blame it on animals. They're like, well, shit, animals must have come and got the bones and scattered them. But now we're like, as the audience, we're like, not that we probably really thought so anyways, but now it's pretty even more apparent that it's more than likely not really Harry Warren that's killing off all these people, right? Yeah, they're definitely like at this point, some of them are trying to make excuses as to why it's not Harry, but all signs seem to be pointing to yes, a little too obviously so, I I think, to the average, to the smartest individuals in the room. So they basically, at this point, are aware that whatever is going on, whoever it is that's behind these murders is aware of what happened with Harry and the fact that they hush hush hid this body uh where they thought nobody knew yes because they obviously came and dug it up or at least are aware yeah of where this where this was at they go back to the station so that the sheriff can question tom because tom still is a prime suspect because he was obviously there at the motel when Irene was killed and he just happened to be in the mine when Red was killed. So, so the, the Axel is like questioning him. He's like, dude, you, you were there. So what's going on? And Tom's like, I'm staying in town. Like I, I, I didn't do this. I'm, I'm staying. I'm not selling the mine. This is when Axel gets like an attitude. He's like, you, you should just go. And Tom is like, you know, Sarah settled for you. Because she really wanted me. And the Axel like punches him. And they get into this brawl. And Axel tells the deputy to take him to the uh, jail. Or take him to one of the cells and lock him up. And the deputy's like, I can't do that. Because we it was just confirmed that he was locked in that room when Red was killed. All the men down in the mine confirm it. So it could not have been him. 
I don't understand how that worked, but we'll get to that. We'll get to it. We go to this moment where Ben is escorting Tom out of the police station. And uh, it's funny because every time Ben kind of has like words of wisdom or anything for Tom, Tom just kind of treats this poor old guy like shit. Like he's always just kind of like disregarding him. And even though Ben kind of like got shitty with him in the first time they were on screen together, um, I think a lot of it was coming from like respect for Tom's father and like having worked alongside Tom's father. And it was more feeling like betrayed. Like if anything, I just think Ben feels betrayed by Tom regardless, you know, but uh, Ben is talked down to a lot by Tom. I mean, if I was Ben, I would tell Tom to go fuck himself. But whatever. So Tom ends up leaving him, driving off. He goes and takes some more of those goddamn mysterious pills. Whatever these pills are, he takes a few more of them before going to explore the mine alone. He goes to explore the mine, and as he's looking, it's pitch black out, but he does see this light. And we're to assume that it's a light. It looks like a helmet, right? The light of the miner's helmet, like flashing through the woods. So he, what's he do? He goes to follow it. What would anybody do after you were, you just saw your one of your coworkers being hacked to get hacked to death with a pickaxe? You're just going to go follow the mysterious light into the woods. He goes in. He follows it. He finds the old house that was owned by Axel's father. Goes in. Right on the bed there is the Valentine chocolates that Megan gave to Axel that rats are eating, and the card is right there next to the chocolates. We immediately hard cut from that scene to Ben's house where he is in his house and he hears a noise outside. So he gets his gun. He's just napping with this gun. Yeah, he gets his gun. He goes out. So, well, I, I mean, hey, he's drunk napping with a gun, by the way. He's drunk holding the shotgun and he's awoken by a noise. It doesn't seem safe. Sorry. <laughs> you know, he does. He goes outside. and He's like. Who's out there? And he's pointing the gun. And obviously this is supposed to be another 3D thing because the barrel of the gun is like right at the screen. And he's like, damn, Harry Warden has me aiming at shadows. He goes back inside his house. And as he's walking into his room, living room, all of a sudden Harry Warden or the miner comes out of the side of the hallway and whaps him in the back with the pickaxe. It's a great startle. It's it's something like almost reminiscent of like a, maybe like an exorcist three. I was just going to say the exorcist. Yeah. Where he just comes out of nowhere from the other side of the house. And it really is like one of the more effective startles in the film. Uh, And there's this whole sequence where he does struggle with Ben and inevitably does uh, manage to kill him by, shoving the pickaxe into the floor and then shoving his head down onto it. And right before it goes through his eyeball, uh, Ben does say, shit. (laughs) And then he is killed in a glorious fashion. Oh yeah. It shows the, it shows the pickaxe explode out the backside of his head. It's a pretty tense scene because he is, I mean, this is a poor, what? 75, 80 year old man. Trying his best, struggling, using all of his strength to not have his face be pushed down onto the onto this pickaxe blade. And right as he realizes that he's going to lose the battle, that he can't fight anymore. Yeah, he's like, shit. And yeah, it goes right into his eyeball and out the back of his skull. Pretty, pretty cool effect. One of the better ones that doesn't look sloppy now, you know, all these years later, as, as some of them do. The next day... Uh, Axel's working at the police station. Sarah shows up to bring him some lunch. 
and she is able to see all of the the bulletin board that has like the photos of Irene's dead body on them and everything. And it kind of takes her back a little bit. And he asks her, has he, has she seen Tom? And she's like, no, I haven't seen him since yesterday. And he gets real aggressive. He's like, you need to tell me if you're together. And he like slams the, his fist on the, 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 the desk. Uh, again, he's not the most likable character at all. And some of the shit he does, knowing what he's done to her, you know, his wife makes him just that big, more of a dick, right? They definitely took the controlling, like little controlling moments that he had in the original film and they just amplified the shit out of them. It's just like, it's like his all consuming um, element in this movie. Above everything else, he is controlling. Uh, And that is the main word I would use to describe him in this specific rendition of the film. Controlling, yeah, controlling and jealous for sure. Very jealous, yeah. Very jealous of Tom. They get a call to say they found Ben's body. And then we, we go to where the body was found and where is it found? It's found exactly where Harry Warden was buried. So now we are cued into, it has to be somebody that knows exactly what went down in this town with Sheriff Burke and, you know, Ben all those years later to the point where even Axel makes the comment. He's like, okay, there was only, there was only four of us that came out here. So, Tom and who was the other guy with him? The deputy. He's like, they're, they're the only two suspects because I know my wife didn't kill anybody because obviously it had to be somebody that was out there that knew what was going on. He even goes to the extent of saying he wants a police cruiser outside of his family home. Uh, cause he suspects that they're being mocked or taunted. Uh, this does lead to what I think is the best sequence in the film. Uh, it is the sequence that is set within the supermarket. It is, um, I've said this a few times at this point, the, the movie already, this film does a really good job of, feel, of grabbing the, the, taking the feeling and the tone of the original movie and recreating it in a way that it feels very much like my bloody Valentine. Like this, while the story may be slightly different, it still has that same energy to it. That same element of suspense and mystery and the way it was crafted and how it all unfolds. It feels one and the same. Um, and this specific sequence feels perfect in the midst of all of the really expertly crafted, slowly evolving suspense sequences from the original movie. Uh, Mabel in the laundry mach- uh, the laundry mat, the whole sequence with uh, Sylvia, you know, how they all took their time. This scene falls perfectly in place with those. And this is the scene where you have the two girls, um, Sarah and Megan. At the grocery store, they're shutting down. They have this little bit of a very awkward dialogue leading up to basically Megan on the cusp of telling Sarah that uh, her husband no longer cares about her. Uh, and and I'm, it's like, bitch, go on. Like, go ahead, bitch. What were you about to say? No, no, no. The killer can wait. Finish your sentence. Like, this girl, if I was Sarah, I would be bitch slapping her. I don't care if she's my employee. Basically, it's a, it's in a long extended chase scene through the supermarket. They hear a noise. The lights in the supermarket go out as they are walking, you know, silently down the aisles, trying to figure out where the noise is coming from. They all of a sudden the miner appears at the end of the aisle with his glowing helmet light. And there's a chase scene where he gives him chase. You know, he's swinging at him. He's swinging at Sarah when all of a sudden Megan jumps out with a fucking mop and whaps him in the head. And they're able to take off. And there is a cool scene. It was supposed to be in 3D, but where there's a box of a Valentine box or heart shaped 
chocolate boxes that the killer hits with the pickaxe and they go flying towards the camera, which I thought was really cool. But the two girls run into the back area of the supermarket and are able to get into the office and shut the door to barricade themselves in. But of course, killer has a pickaxe. So he starts hacking away at the door. This scene is very like high, high tension, high suspense because Megan opens the window is trying to get out, but the, there's a gate that's um, padlocked over the window and she's trying to find the key. The key is in the desk drawer. In the meantime, he's just hacking away at the, with the pickaxe through the door. She's trying to find the right key. He's to the point where he has his arm in and he's reaching in to unlock it. At the same moment, she gets the um, padlock unlocked and is able to swing the, the gate open and get out of the window. But all of a sudden, Sarah notices, shit, the killer's not there anymore. He must be privy to what's going on. So she's like, get back in here, get back in here. So she tries to get Megan back in. But at the same moment, the killer got outside pretty damn quick. This is a large supermarket, okay? We saw how big the supermarket was, right? So he had to go out the door, the front door, all the way around the building to the back alley. He made it pretty fucking quick. I wonder if there's like maybe a rear exit. You know? I don't know. I don't know. I'm. I mean, I doubt there's only one way into this damn store. True, true, but I don't know. It was quick. I just thought either way. I thought it was quick, right? But I do love that twist. And honestly, I mean, this whole chase scene is just such a very a standout moment. Like for all of the little hiccups and pitfalls this movie has due to CGI or what have you, um, moments like this are what. I think elevate it and make it still stand out as one of the stronger offerings within the genre from that time. Um, this is whether three D or not, shtick or not. This is just a good scene in a horror movie. Oh yeah, like I said, very high high intensity. You know, you're on the edge of your seat here. But he does pull Megan out of the window and get her, and then he jumps back into the window and swinging at. Sarah, and there is a scene where he gets his pickaxe, like goes down the front of her shirt and he's like yanking her and she's able to break free, but does get her hand caught on the, the pickaxe and gets a big old slice down her arm. She's able to sound the alarm, get out of the office and run back through the supermarket to the front door where she runs into Axel, who's conveniently there, right? Yeah. And of course, because of the timing with Axel being there, Immediately, you, the viewer, go to the mentality, oh, how did he get there so quickly? He has to be the killer. <laughs> I now suspect Axel. This movie is really good at like taking like the suspicion and the blame and placing it on one person. And then suddenly something else happens and you suddenly start suspecting them for all these reasons. Like it's not easy to identify one character as being the killer and stick with it throughout the whole film, much like the original movie. So in that sense, they capture that same feeling, that same energy very well. Yeah. They go, Axel gets her and they go around to the back alley because he asks her where, where Harry, Harry is or where the killer is at. And she's like, he's in the back alley with Megan. They go back. And they do, we do get a reveal of Megan's body sprawled against the wall of the supermarket. Her chest has been sliced open, guts and shit in front of her. And above her is written, be mine forever in blood. Yeah, it's a pretty gruesome reveal. It's very gruesome. And, and again, considering, you know, knowing she was pregnant, even though that's not a plot point that's ever revisited again, we do know that she was pregnant. So that just makes it a little bit more, I guess, horrifying. 
Sarah is in the ambulance having her arm tended to, and she's questioning why the miner would go after him. Why would the miner go after Megan? And Axel's like, well, he's going after everybody connected to the mine. And Megan and Sarah's like, well, Megan's not connected to the mine. Maybe he's just trying to get to you. And Axel's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, I'm not blind, Axel. So we do get we do get revealed that Sarah does is aware that Axel was having an affair with with Megan. She's so cold about it, too. I love it. Sarah, like, you know, you said about the last the original film and the last review, you mentioned that Sarah for while she's like, you know, she's a good final girl. She doesn't really do a ton just because the story is so bogged down with the men. And, and them being so present. I have to say that one thing this movie does right is it gives Sarah way more focus. And uh, she's just a, a bigger playing factor. She's a huge piece of the puzzle in this one. She definitely has way more to do and way more depth to her. That night at Axel and Sarah's, the housekeeper is just doing laundry while that little fucking kid, what's his name? I don't know. The little Their little damn kid. Uh, Noah, it's Noah, blonde Noah, who's watching TV. The miner sneaks right into the house and pickaxes the housekeeper right away. Poor Rosa. Rosa, which does allow us a nice homage to the original film here in a few minutes as well. Yes. Sheriff Burke shows up because Deputy Ferris is supposed to be outside patrolling the, the house, which she is. She's out there in a patrol car, but she didn't see, obviously she hasn't seen anything that's going on. Why or how the Sheriff Burke is there and knows what's going on. Another question that's not answered, but he is, he's like, we need to get inside. He's here. How does he know this? I'm so confused. That's what I just yeah. said. Yeah. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Why was he even there in the first place? And how does he know? Like, How is he a step ahead of the game here? I'm just, I'm confused for the sake of story, I guess. But like, one thing the original movie never felt like it had was something where it's like, this is here for the sake of like a plot development. And this does have a few of those moments, like Sarah in the hospital with the chocolates for whatever reason. And this moment where uh, where Burke like shows up out of the fucking blue, but he already like knows that the killer's inside. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's not explained at no, all. It's not. So Officer Ferris, she goes into the house to search uh, while uh, Burke stays outside with his flashlight. She finds poor little Noah crawling around on the floor. This kid can't even, he's silent. He can't even crawl he, effectively. No, he can't even like, he just looks dead eyed into the camera. And you can tell, like, I feel like the director is just like, we just have to take what we've got at this point. Cause he doesn't mutter a word. He just kind of shakes his head. So it's very uncomfortable. This whole moment between the child and the lesbian. Uh, meanwhile, Burke is like turning the porch and he sees the light emitting from a mask so he goes to peer over the edge of the porch and he sees that a mask has actually been planted uh, at the edge of the porch, almost like, you know, to distract him, to lure him. So these two moments are kind of intercut back and forth between Burke and the female deputy. Um, I really love how these kind of like build up together uh, and one happens right after the other. It seems very well played. Yeah, because she tells Noah to stay put and only to come out when she tells him to. And she hears like this thud thudding coming from the laundry room. So she goes into the laundry room and she sees that the dryer is covered in blood. So she opens the dryer and we get the same scene from the original with the burnt fucking housekeeper's body falling out of the dryer. 
very gruesome. This one looks super realistic. Like, although oh, it's really, but well here's done. the thing, Roger, she was not in the dryer that long. No, she's in for maybe like 10 minutes. Yeah. Not even that. And no. this woman is burnt to a fucking, like her skin is literally melted off. She was in the dryer for a total of five minutes. It's gotta be a really high powered. <laughs> it's a, it's another. Yeah. I was wondering that I'm like, okay, come on. She's been in there five minutes and she's already melted. Yeah, it's like sizzling. It's, yeah. it's gnarly, but it does not make any sense whatsoever. Um, meanwhile, Bird is on the porch. He hears the screaming and he turns to the sound and he is instantly taken by surprise by the miner who takes his pickaxe and upper cuts it into Bert's jaw. It like hooks through his jaw. It's pretty disgusting. And with like a really violent yank, he rips the jaw off and a a spray of 3D blood goes all over the camera. It's absurd. It's so absurd. Well, yeah. And the, and the, the the jaw flies towards you. Like the, the jaw rips off and flies towards the camera. It's, it's so hokey looking now. I I had to laugh. I, I generally don't laugh at death scenes, but this looked so hokey. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean the the CGI blood looks ridiculous. the The jaw flying at the camera looks ridiculous. Burke falling off the falling backwards off the porch as blood the C, the CGI blood is squirting from his head looks ridiculous. I'm like, oh god, this did not age well. And it's I mean it's only been ten years, but it looked good at the time. It looked good at the time. I still stand by the fact that some of these movies that had this 3D CGI treatment really deserve a CGI remastering uh, where they go in and they like upgrade the effects for just like the sake of cinema, not for the sake of 3D animation, uh, because it is so distracting at times. In theory, this death is really cool. And like I said, when it came out, it looked great. But now Uh, Tom calls Sarah. And tells her, well, she tells him she was attacked by Harry Warden. They still think it's Harry Warden. He says, I don't think it's Harry. I need to talk to you. I need to show you something. Please, you know, I'm going to come get you. So he does. He comes and gets her from the hospital. Moments later, Axel shows up to pick up Sarah. And the nurse is like, well, she already checked out with um, with Tom Hanniger. And of course, Axel is none too thrilled. No, but that that nurse that nurse is so pleasant though. Let's give a moment for that nurse. <laughs> She's like that handsome Tom Henniger. <laughs> which didn't make you know, which pissed Axel off even more. I he know he doesn't, he doesn't want to be reminded about how handsome Tom is. I'm shocked he didn't punch that nurse. She's in riding in Tom's truck, and he is telling her that he thinks Axel is responsible for the murder. I mean, he comes out right out with it. And he's like, Axel, I think Axel's responsible for the murder. She's the one that's been doing this. Uh, and the, at the same moment, Axel actually calls Sarah and she has to pretend like that. She's not talking to Axel because she doesn't want Tom to hear. Axel's telling her that she needs to get away from Tom ASAP because there's something she doesn't know about him. And that is that he is spent the last seven years in a mental hospital. Please get out of that car. So she's like, okay, mom. Yes. Thank you for letting me know. So she hangs up and she tells Tom, she's like, Hey, uh, that was my mother. Noah's sick. I need to get back home to him. And Tom's like, that wasn't your mother. She's like, no, I really need to get back home. He's like, no, you're not going back home. I need to show you this. 
you're you're in danger. Axel's going to do whatever he can to make you think it's me. So goddamn, you're staying with me. This is when she does take matters into her own hands and she grabs the fucking steering wheel <laughs> so that the car crashes into a fucking tree. And there is the lovely, again, 3D effect of the tree branch busting through the windshield and going all the way out to the back, out the back windshield, just missing both of them by inches. I do love that. Moment, yeah, it's though. cool. I, I think, and I do also like that, like his flip from normal to like neurotic and like borderline unstable is very quick and he plays it pretty well. Um, Jensen Eccles, like sometimes I forget that he's actually a quite capable actor. <laughs> like he's so pretty. I'm so used to him from Supernatural just playing that same kind of role. Uh, you forget that he's actually a really skilled actor. I know he's in the new season of The Boys coming out, and I, th- I hope that really challenges him more because when you have him in some of these roles, he's super capable. Um, but yeah, I like that how he flips so quickly, and it gives her all the more reason to be like, I've got to figure something out. So yeah, she crashes the car and uh, gets out of the vehicle, and she takes off on foot. She takes off on foot. She runs, and she ends up at the uh, house, Axel's father's house, this this old ramshackled house that has now played a prominent part in the film, probably more than it should. <laughs> but she goes in the house, and of course, the chocolates that Megan gave Axel are still on the bed, as well as the Valentine card. So she does pick it up and read the Valentine card from Megan. And she stands up. And all of a sudden, the door slowly creaks open. I like this scene. You just hear the front door go creak. And all of a sudden, you see the light of the miner, and he's standing there behind her, and she's turned away from him. And she can hear it. Like, you can see on her face. And it's it's very much, I, I really like this because it really rings true. Like, you can totally tell on her face that she knows exactly what's about to happen. And she's a little, it's like, she's overcome with fear. Like she doesn't really, really want to turn around to make it true, but she knows the miners behind her. Yeah. After that wave of boxes falls out, (laughs) that massive closet. Oh yeah. I forgot about the, I forgot about that. She opens up the, the uh, pantry and these literally hundreds of Valentine's day candy boxes fall out. Yeah. It's, it's all of this perfectly placed so that it paints all kinds of suspicion on Axel because she discovers the card. She discovers an absurd amount of Valentine's Day boxes, an irrational amount. I don't know how many people this fucking guy planned on killing, but I guess he's trying to match the number of the original massacre at the beginning of the movie because it's so many. Uh, And then, yes, uh, the door opens just in time to reveal the minor. And it's all at the peak of all of these things pointing at Axel. So when you see the killer, you're like, that has to be Axel. Well, she even says, she even says Axel. And he swings the um, pickaxe at her. She is able to grab it and and hit him with, with something she picks up off the counter and he swings it again. He gets the pickaxe stuck in the, uh, the wall. So she's runs to get out and has to bust out of a window, like the, the window and jump out onto the roof. And roll off the roof like goddamn Sally Hardesty. Oh, yeah. But this fight is so physical. I love it. And she's put through, the, yeah. like, for the lack of oomph that Sarah had in the first movie, this Sarah is put through the fucking ringer. I mean, girl gets thrown out windows off roofs. She gets chased all over the fucking place. A la Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You're very right. Uh, and it does lead her 
to the mines. Like she ends up taking off towards the mines. And this leads into yet another expertly played homage to the original film. Uh, yeah. Where she's in the mine, she goes into the mine and she's in the room with all of the minor um, outfits hanging up on the ceiling. And all of a sudden they all start dropping down on her. Very reminiscent of Sylvia uh, death scene in the original film. Oh yeah. I mean, even down to like the, like the light, like the, the way that they shoot her when she's reacting to him. Cause he, you know, he pops, he pops out of the suits. He's there and his light is shining in her face and it looks, it's framed and shot exactly like the shots of Sylvia in this similar sequence in the original film. Especially when she runs into him finally. Like he's in front. Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, it's, and she like jumps. She like jumps back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and if you missed it last week, if you missed our my bloody Valentine episode last week, the original one, we do have an interview with Ellen Udi, who plays Sylvia in that episode. So if you haven't checked it out, listen to that because she gives some really cool insight into shooting that particular scene. But anyways, yeah, I like that homage. She's able to get away, and she makes the I guess logical decision dumb decision to run into the actual mine itself. I don't know why you just wouldn't like take off running into the woods and and get away, but she goes into the mine, like into the mine. She's trying to hide, but she actually runs into Axel. So all of a sudden he's there. So all these people are just showing up in in these locations just at the right time. She pulls a gun on him and she's like, stay the fuck away from me. I found all your boxes. And he's like, what, the box from Megan? And she's like, no, all your fucking Valentine's Day boxes. And all of a sudden, who else shows up? Tom. So now she has the gun pointed at both of them. And it's kind of like a he said, she said. Yeah. Although it's a he said, he said, right? Because they're blaming each other. Tom is like, Axel needs help. He needs help. He's not well. And Axel's like, oh, fuck you. You've been in a mental institution. So she really doesn't know who to believe. And finally, Axel's like, you know what? Fuck this. Just shoot us both. That's the only way you're going to get out of here. Because if you shoot me, you're going to be left with the killer. So shoot us both. Tom slips up. And he is like, isn't it just so coincidental that the I love you for your mind forever was written above Megan's body when that's exactly what was written on the Valentine Day card that she wrote for him? And Sarah's like, uh, how did you know Megan was dead? He's like, you told me. And she's like, no, I didn't. And then she's like, and how did you know it was written above her body? And this is when he starts basically hallucinating. He sees Harry Warden coming up behind her. And we see him too, but, but we're seeing him from his perspective as Axel and Sarah are looking to where he's pointing. There is nothing there. He's like, there he is. Shoot him. Shoot him. There's nobody there. Until he appears. And it's like, oh, wait, what? What am I seeing? And it's kind of weird for a moment because he's like, Tom is like flipping his shit being like, shoot him. What the fuck are you doing? And it's pretty clear at this point that they cannot see what he sees. And this leads to a twist that I don't know how I feel about Troy. I'm going to be honest. I feel like this movie in a lot of ways built off the original storyline in ways that were constructive or um, enhanced the story. Uh, One thing I think they didn't nail quite as well as the original film is actually the finale. Uh, While I do like seeing Sarah rise up and be such a prominent element, 
there's something about the way that that finale builds at the end of the original My Bloody Valentine that feels like perfectly executed. Uh, that final reveal of it being Axel in the original film, it's it, up until that very last second, you're really not sure. You are not sure who the killer is. They do a lot of things right in the original film to keep you guessing. Here, when it's revealed that this vision of Harry Warden is all a hallucination, because that's what we find out here. Uh, and it's also a figment of Tom's imagination. You can't help but feel a little ripped off, a little cheaped out, uh, considering how the story has progressed thus far. Yeah, because what ends up happening is we see through flashbacks that Tom was the one that went and dug up the grave of Harry Warden. Now, how he would know where it was to begin with, who knows? But he's when he gets to town, that's what he does. And he finds the uh, the the miner's mask and the pickaxe and puts it on and it basically turns him into a killer like he's already have he already had all this trauma from dealing with the mind disaster and then what happened with harry warden showing up 10 years earlier so it triggers him to put on the mine cost the minor costume and when he puts it on he goes on this murderous rampage so we find out he was the one that killed irene and um, frank he was the one that's been killing everybody and this goes back to that scene in the mine with Red when Red is killed, that this is the moment where you have to feel like as an audience member, were you cheated? Like, because you were seeing that scene and you are seeing clearly the miner attacking Tom, locking him in the cage. Tom watching as the miner is killing Red. But that was all in Tom's mind. And that is the only moment in the film where that happens. And it's like, it's just do it's, it's only doing that so that we don't suspect Tom can be the killer. But that is a huge to me slap in the face to your audience to do something like that. There's a way to do a whodunit without like, without pulling a cheat like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so that's my big complaint with, how everything was constructed in this film in terms of making Tom the killer, because there's so many instances where it just doesn't make sense that he was the killer. And then they're going to pull something like, Oh, well here in the middle of the movie, we're going to make it look like he's really being attacked. It's like some high tension shit, but at least high tension had the, you know, the respect to carry it all the way through the, the entire movie until the end reveal and not just use it as a, little plot device to trick the audience high tension, at least carry that same concept all the way through. Well, then and on top of that, Troy, like there's the whole moment where Axel's like, Harry, you've been in there the whole time. Haven't you? And Tom turns, he's like, I'm here. Yes, I am. And it's like, wait, are you also saying that like his alternate personality now is Harry warden? Like, how did that happen? That's so specific. And like, I just, it's just kind of far fetched. But the whole movie is kind of far-fetched, so like, okay, but it's just not the most satisfying payoff. The original definitely wins in regards to conclusion. The original did it right in terms of their killer and how who you know how they revealed the killer. This was a little, I'm just to be honest with you, it felt like a little bit of a cheat. But I do appreciate that they tried to flip the script. They did, well, they did flip the switch because in the original Axel is the killer and they, made, they, they flipped it so that... 
Tom is the killer now. Although it makes me pissed that Sarah's going to be stuck with fucking Axel now. I know. And you can't convince me that they saved that relationship. At, at this point, there ain't no way. Like I hope not. God. This, of course, leads into a big fucking battle between the two men. Very much a la the original film. And uh, they're fighting and struggling. And eventually, uh, Axel gets stabbed in the torso. Pretty severely. And... Uh, Tom takes off into the mines and Axel gives Sarah his gun and he's like, there's one bullet, don't miss. And so she like kind of like steps back out into the mines and he's coming right back. Like it seems like Tom like just ran off and now he's turned right around with his pickaxe and now he's like full Harry Warden mode. Um, So it's kind of weird the way this is set up, but I do love the fact that he is much like the original film bashing out all the light bulbs exact same as the original movie every light bulb as he passes it he bashes it with the pickaxe so at least the imagery here is striking and makes you feel like you're watching the original film and every time he bashes it and the light goes out do you did you notice you get a flash of him in the miner's costume yes i loved it yeah it's really cool yeah that's see that's something that's really well done yeah i like that finally he, he gets up to sarah and She's like, Tom, please don't. And he kind of looks at her for a minute and, and sets the pickaxe down. And you think he's going to like surrender, but then he grabs it to raise it up and she fucking shoots him. And again, another hokey 3D CGI effect of the bullet. This is, yeah, this going, is the worst CGI effect in the movie. It, it's horrible. It's the bullet coming out of the gun. We fu- The bullet's coming towards us. It goes into his side, through him, goes into the canisters behind him. What ends up happening is that the mine blows up. Uh, Sarah and Axel are able to get out, but it blows up and, and traps him in the mine. I want to really focus on this CGI moment because it really like it's it is a it is a Matrix bullet shot. It is the Matrix, like you know the shot from the Matrix where the bullet takes off out of the gun and they do a full rotation around it. It's the exact same fucking effect. And like in the Matrix, it worked because the Matrix was like surreal and sci-fi this is just like a slasher like that we don't need a slow motion bullet shot in a slasher and not only that like does a full zoom around and then it like stabs through the his torso like his like love handle and then it hits this canister and explodes um and a very again bad cgi effect of the explosion of him like getting thrown through the air it seems like they saved like all of the worst of their cgi effects for the end of the movie which leaves an extra bad taste in your mouth because it's like god Again, if it wasn't for the CGI choices in this movie, we would have a fantastic film. Well, we are then treated to some workers coming into the mine to examine everything. And and one of them comes upon Tom's body. He's still alive. And he, he bends down. He's like, oh, my God. Hey, hey, we got a live one. He's like, hey, man, hang hang on. We're going to get you help. And instead of being grateful for the help. Tom grabs the uh, the pickaxe and whacks the poor worker with it. Kills him. Yeah, this poor guy gets a horrible CGI pickaxe through the eyeball. And all he's trying to do is help. And wouldn't they know, like, would they not know that, weren't they warned that, hey, there's a guy that down there that like, just killed a bunch of townspeople. You better be careful. You'd think that would be something that they'd know. Instead, he's like all chummy chummy with him right away. Bends down, gets in his face. I'm going to help you. Uh, the film, then basically we see all of the workers come out of the mine in their little red uh, outfits. 
until we get one that comes out kind of limping and it's revealed as he approaches the camera, he pulls his mask off and dun, dun, dun. It's Tom. He's alive. And the film ends with the cliffhanger, just like the first one. I mean, uh, uh, well, uh, yes, it, it ends in a very similar fashion, but like, uh, Troy, think about, like, this man, like, waddles out of this massive crime scene, and he takes off his mask in the middle of, like, the open. Like, that's a bold move, Tom, to just be unmasking yourself surrounded by, like, medical vehicles and police officers. But that's what he does, and I think, is he, I mean, did he get away? Plus, he's gravely injured. He's grave. Well, you know what? It sets it up for a sequel that never happened, just like the first one. I mean, God, give me a fucking sequel. Give me a sequel. Well, I thought it's a... This did pretty well at the box office, so I'm super surprised it did not get a sequel. You know, Patrick Lucier was actually hired to direct Halloween 3 in the Rob Zombie. Going to close out the the Rob Zombie trilogy. It was going to be Halloween 3D. Oh. It never happened. Well, good. And my, I know. And my bloody val. Well, instead, we got fucking Halloween Kills and Halloween H2 2018. Yeah, so the film ends, no sequel, just it is what it is. Who knows what's going to happen to the My Bloody Valentine franchise um, in the future, if there's ever going to be another My Bloody Valentine film. But I got to say, if there's not, at least the two we have are pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean. I mean, minus minus the CGI effects of this one and some of the plot elements and plot devices that don't work or don't make sense, particularly when it comes to the killer reveal. It's still a f- enjoyable film. It's f- it, it it flies by. This movie has way is way more hits than it does misses. Yes, it, it's not a, it's not a chore to get through it. I think it flies by. Like when I watched this, it it went by quick. I yeah. mean, it's it's fast paced. You're never really going to get bored. There are a few scenes, like I said, I mentioned at the beginning of of chatting and like the police station and stuff that I kind of was like, Ugh. and that's only because the rest of the film is so fast paced, like the set pieces of this film. Some of the set pieces involving the death scenes are pretty elaborate and drawn out, like the motel scene, the grocery store scene. So having that, I want more of that because when it's done, they're executed almost flawlessly. So some of these other scenes that are just thrown in just for shits and giggles just so we can hear the characters talking i kind of like oh i, I get back to the action get back to the action because it, it handles the action so much better than it does some of the softer character moments so i i'm gonna just say yeah this this film i enjoy it it is a little dated with the cgi it would be nice to see an updated at least an updated cgi effects if that could ever be done but I am hoping for a My Ability Valentine 2, whether a sequel to the original film or this film, I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, come on. Both films are celebrated for their own reasons. The original is a classic and acknowledged to be such. And the this one, yeah, you're right, did fairly well in the box office. It wasn't insane, but it did well enough that it was looked at as a success. And um, there's still more story to tell, I think. If anything, elaborate on what the fuck's going on with Tom. Because that ending was a little bit out of fucking nowhere. But overall, I mean, it's such an entertaining movie. And it's got some really great kills if you can look past, like we said, the bad CGI. I, I have way more compliments for this film than I do criticisms. It just happens that the criticisms I have do make it at times difficult to get through certain sequences. 
I I wish they would just do a CGI remastering. They've done it for other movies. Like my god, just just save this movie, do a CGI update, get rid of the bad 3D imagery. Let's move on. Uh, because it really, at its core, it's a great film. It's really enjoyable. Yeah, insert some more scenes of the little motel woman, and I'd be happy. Let her come back. Let her come back for this scene. I just want to film with just her chasing Lois around. I could watch that for two hours. Oh, God. But that, yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll get... I mean, I, I fingers crossed. It's been over 10 years, but hopefully this isn't the last My Bloody Valentine film we get. But if it is, like I said, at least we got two great ones. So yeah, we 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 did it, Roger. We successfully made it through Valentine Month with I was gonna say four, but we actually did 2001 Maniacs. So, but we did Valentine, My Bloody Valentine, and uh, this one, My Bloody Valentine 2009. Next week, we could loosely tie the film we're covering next week to Valentine's Day in a very odd roundabout way, Roger, right? Do you want to reveal what it is real quick? Well, I mean, it definitely has a, a Valentine's Day energy to it, even if it's not necessarily focusing around Valentine's Day. It is focused around lust, romance, and sex. And it's a movie that a lot of gays love, and mainly, I think, aside from being a great slasher, um, the leading lady is someone we all are quite fond of when Brittany Murphy, who stars in the made for TV, though should have been released in theaters, Cherry Falls, a classic. I mean, a fucking classic. Yeah, Cherry Falls, definitely a great one. It needs a lot more attention than what I got, although I feel like in the last couple of years, it's been recognized, been getting some recognition for being one of the standout post scream slasher flicks. So I'm excited to talk about that one with you guys. If you have not seen cherry falls guys, it, it just hit shutter. Uh, so it's on shutter to watch. So check it out before next week, before we review cherry falls in the meantime, check out our Patreon. We have lots of bonus episodes, uh, going up on Patreon, patreon.com slash dark night of the podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review if you're so inclined, and write us a little review. Those would mean the world to us. But yeah, that's that's the end of Valentine's movies. <laughs> <laughs> Valentine Day-themed movie month. Uh, <laughs> what well, lightly the end, because the next one is a smooth transition into a new month. A smooth transition. Yes, and we have some great... Great stuff coming up for March, so stay tuned for that, okay? Yeah. Oh, my God. Good things. Real good. But, yeah, guys, thank you. Thank you, listeners, for being our Valentines this month. We appreciate it. So until next week, try not to lose your virginity until then because it's Cherry Falls. Oh, God. Well, that won't be that difficult for me. (laughs) So, (laughs) On, On that note, you guys... I'm going to bed. You all have a great night and don't be having sex. All right, guys. Good night. (laughs) Good night.